Good morning again. Uh, my name is Levi Pancake. For those of you who don't know me, I serve as one of the elders on staff here. And uh, we're going to continue our series looking at uh, the book of Psalms. And so this morning we're in Psalm 28. That's Psalm 28. And uh, I'm going to read it. And uh, please follow along as we consider this text this morning. This is the word of the Lord. Of David. To you, O Lord, I call my rock. Be not deaf to me, lest if you be silent to me, I become like those who go down to the pit. Hear the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cry to you for help, when I lift up my hands toward your most holy sanctuary. Do not drag me off with the wicked, with the workers of evil, who speak peace with their neighbors while evil is in their hearts. Give to them according to their work and according to the evil of their deeds. Give to them according to the work of their hands. Render them their due reward. Because they do not regard the works of the Lord or the work of His hands, He will tear them down and build them up no more. Blessed be the Lord. For he has heard the voice of my pleas for mercy. The Lord is my strength and my shield. In him my heart trusts, and I am helped. My heart exalts, and with my song I give thanks to him. The Lord is the strength of his people. He is the saving refuge of his anointed. Oh, save your people and bless your heritage. Be their shepherd and carry them forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we can gather together this morning as your people, considering the truth found in the Scriptures, the truth from your promises, the truth backed by your character. And we pray this morning that you would incline our hearts, that you would open our eyes, that you would give us understanding, and please, Lord, satisfy us with your word and with your promises. We entrust this time to you now, and it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. So, when I was a kid, I loved Michael Jordan. I wanted to be like Mike. I want to be, I want to be, I want to be like Mike, at least Mike on the basketball court. And so, I, in my room, I'm in elementary school at the time, I have four or five posters hanging up all over the room. I have the picture of him dunking from uh, the free throw line in the slam dunk tournament. I have the picture of him dunking over Patrick Ewing, you New York Knicks fans. I have the picture, uh, the poster of him um, hitting the game winner over Elo of the Cleveland Cavaliers. I mean, I, I loved Michael Jordan. My, my dad, had these uh, VHS tapes. If you don't know what those are, that was before DVDs, which was before digital streaming. And these VHS tapes, he got them from Sports Illustrated, and I watched over and over and over again those tapes where the Bulls won the championship. They three-peated in 91, 92, 93. I remember watching that first tape when they beat the Lakers in five in the NBA Finals. That tape was called Learning to Fly, a song by Tom Petty. And I would just watch it and hum that song all the time, and then I'd watch the the, the second one, which was called Untouchables, and Bulls was spelled B-U-L-L-S because Michael Jordan played for the Bulls, and the third one was called Three-Peat, Unstoppables, and I, I was just obsessed with them. And so, um, it didn't surprise my mom when one day I told her that I wanted to write a letter to Michael Jordan. 
because I was his biggest fan. I wanted to reach out to him, and I wanted to meet him. And of course, he would want to meet an eight, nine-year-old kid. But I, I don't think I ever wrote that letter because just the thought of him not responding, I think, was too much for my little mind to comprehend. Dear Michael Jordan, my name is Levi Pancake. Yes, that is my real name. Would you like to join my family and I for mac and cheese on Tuesday, September 5th? Signed, your biggest fan. You know, now, as I became an adult, I realized, I mean, the guy got thousands of those letters like a day when he was in his prime. And so, had I written the letter, it was a realistic expectation to expect that letter to go unanswered. But what if you wrote or reached out to someone that you know? And that went unanswered. What if you texted or called a friend, a family member, loved one, and that went unanswered? They never responded to your texts or phone calls. Now, there's a name for that now. It's called ghosting. Now, ghosting means this. It essentially means to ignore, but I'll give you the complete definition. It's the practice of ending a personal relationship with someone by suddenly and without explanation withdrawing from all communication. I mean, this is like the classic way for high schoolers to break up with one another now. You ghost them. You end all communication. Well, that is the situation of this individual lament found in Psalm 28. David is pleading with the Lord. He's calling out to the Lord, and David feels like the Lord is ghosting him, like the Lord is ignoring him. And yet, as this psalm begins with a passionate plea for the Lord to hear him, it then ends with passionate praise because the Lord did, in fact, hear and answer him. Spoiler alert, the Lord doesn't ghost David and he doesn't ghost us. As one commentator says, uh, we meet David at the beginning of this psalm in the dark of midnight. And as he prays, the sun rises and we end with songs of joy. The main point this morning is this, that we as Christ's people, we can call upon the Lord, our shield, and our strength. And as we call upon the Lord, I want to look at three things. One, we need to remember the importance of perseverance in our prayer. Secondly, we need to remember the future of the wicked. Thirdly, as we call out to the Lord, we need to remember the future of God's people. So, I want us to consider again the, the, the importance of perseverance in our prayer the future of the wicked, and the future of God's people as we posture our lives, our hearts, our cries to call out to the Lord. So, first, let's consider the importance of persevering in our prayers. Look at verse 1. To you, O Lord, I call. My rock, be not deaf to me, lest if you be silent to me, I become like those who go down to the pit. We don't exactly know what David's circumstances are, but we know the situation's pretty bleak. He's calling out to the Lord. Verse 2 says that he's crying out to the Lord, and he's pleading for mercy. 
And in the midst of those circumstances, he turns his attention to his rock. To you, O Lord, I call my rock. Prayer is this expression that God's people have. To, uh, it's, it's an expression of, of soul dependence upon the Lord for help. That's what David's doing. He's turning to his rock for strength and for sustenance. Now, we know because of the attributes of God and who God is that He hears every whisper of ours. He knows every word that we're going to say before it ever hits our tongue. So, when David says, be not deaf to me or don't be silent to me, what he's talking about, he's asking the Lord, Lord, don't allow your disposition to be one of where you ignore me. Lord, don't ghost me. Don't turn your back on me. Don't give me the cold shoulder. But even in the midst of him feeling like the Lord is ghosting him, he cries out to the Lord and he perseveres in prayer. Despite that feeling, he knows that it's only the Lord, his rock, that can save him, that can rescue him, that can deliver him. And it's only the Lord who's capable of fulfilling the Lord's promises. For David, as he calls upon his rock, there's no plan B's. There's no alternatives. He continues in verse 2. He cries out to the Lord and he says, Hear the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cry to you for help, when I lift up my hands to your most holy sanctuary. He's pleading. He's crying. But he's not just using his voice. We also see that in the third line of the second verse, he says, when I lift up my hands toward your most holy sanctuary. Now, uh, people tease me all the time because I'm someone who talks a lot with his hands. Uh, my wife will laugh at me when I'm on the phone and I have those, you know, headphones in, but I'm talking and I'm like making emphatic points with my hands. And when I get off the phone, she's like, you know, they can't see you, right? It's like, I, I kind of know that. Yeah, but it helps me bring my point across. I mean, Zoom does not do these emphatic hands justice. Uh, there's a name for that. It's called gesticulating. I'm a gesticulator. <laughs> David is gesticulating. He says, when I lift up my hands to your most holy sanctuary. He's not just using his voice, but he's actually physically posturing himself to declare his dependence upon the rock. He's lifting his hands to the Lord. I mean, we worship, some of us are more inclined to lift up our hands to the Lord. Others of us are more like hands on the side and sway a bit. But there is something pronounced about us just physically getting on our knees before the Lord. I mean, there are times during my devotional time, some mornings, where I'm trying to roll my cares over to the Lord, and I'll just do this motion. Like, it, there's something about physically doing that that just postures my heart towards the Lord. This care is yours. This situation is yours. I've controlled it as much as I can. And so, all this highlights where David is directing his attention, where he turns to for help, or should I say, who he turns to for help. 
It feels like the Lord is ghosting him. But David does not turn to a plan B. He doesn't turn to other alternatives. His only prospect is the Lord and his mercy, the Lord's grace, and the Lord's promises. I think it's good for us to consider that for a moment. Have you been in a situation Or is there something in your prayer life, assuming you have a prayer life, where it feels like the Lord is ignoring you, where those calls for help seem to fall on deaf ears? And if so, or if you've been there before, what do you do? Do you just become apathetic? Well, it's not that much, it's not that important, I'm just going to move on, put my head down and work. Do you... Just give up? Stop asking the Lord because it's been weeks, months, or even years? Or do you just stop calling out to the Lord for that request, for that need, and rather turn to something else, yourself or someone else? It's a good reminder for us As we call out to the Lord, our strength and our shield, that's how he's described in verse 7, that we can and should persevere in our prayers, and we'll we'll see why at the end of this psalm. Secondly, as we call out to the Lord for help, it it is important for us to remember the future of the wicked. Look at verse 3. It says, "'Do not drag me off with the wicked.'" with the workers of evil who speak peace with their neighbors while evil is in their hearts. The last line of verse 1 where it says, uh, I become like those who go down to the pit. If the Lord doesn't answer it, it's like death to David. But, but it's even more than that. It's like death without hope, without God's mercy. You see that similar language in verse 3 where he's asking the Lord, don't drag me off with the wicked. Don't, don't take me away against my will with those workers of evil. Don't treat me like those who don't know you. And then he gives this description of the wicked and workers of evil that is pretty unique. The last two lines of verse 3, he says, the wicked are this, who speak peace with their neighbor while evil is in their hearts. Those are people, as we know, who speak kindly to your face, but are harboring all kinds of resentful, bitter, angry, harmful attitudes and postures towards you. So then begs the question, well, why would the wicked act that way? Why would people act that way? Simple answer, to speak peace with your neighbor while evil is in your heart. I mean, it, it works, at least for a short time. It helps you get that promotion. It helps your reputation. It helps you get ahead. It helps you get what you want. I mean, it's a, it's a classic way of um, exuding self-preoccupation, uh, just navel-gazing. You know, I'm, some people don't even realize they do it. I'm so preoccupied with me that I could really care less about you as long as you help me get what I want. You're just a means to an end to help me accomplish my purposes. It's Excessive self-preoccupation. And I think David is alluding here to the fact that there are these worldly tactics that people 
employ in order to get what they want. In the context of this psalm where David's crying out to the Lord, he's saying, don't treat me like those who use worldly tactics. Or to use the language of verse 5, don't treat me like those who have no regard for you, Lord. Don't treat me like the people who disregard you. So that's another question for us. I mean, do you find yourself relying on plan Bs or, ultimate, or alternative plans? Do you live or act in such a way that has no regard for the Lord, despite what you may profess? There's a real temptation when it feels like the Lord is ghosting us for us to give in or succumb to or turn to worldly tactics, worldly tactics like speaking peace with your neighbor while evil is in your heart. But of course, there's other worldly tactics that we can employ as well. Being nice didn't get you what you wanted. So now you're going to bulldoze over someone. You're going to manipulate someone. You're going to strong old arm that person in order to get what you want. Or let me be a little more personal. Uh, You've cried out to the Lord for years for Him to provide that spouse for you. But He hasn't answered your prayers the way that you've hoped or in the timeliness that you would have liked. And now this non-Christian is showing up and pursuing you. And there's a real temptation to take matters into your own hands, live as if you have no regard for the Lord or what He's called us to, and you've decided, I'm not going to wait on the Lord any longer. Maybe you don't have the type of relationship with the Lord where you would cry to Him for help or you would plead with Him. Rather, I mean, you say that you would, but really you just fill your life with stuff, all kinds of things. If you took an honest inventory of how you spent your time, your energy, your resources, your money, your mental energy, your planning, you would see that if anyone looked at your life objectively, they would say, "Eh, that person doesn't live like they have regard for the Lord. Because not trusting or waiting on the Lord to infinitely and eternally satisfy, but rather we just fill our lives up with stuff, earthly treasures where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Maybe you um, are more concerned about your reputation at work or what others think of you. You don't want to be teased or mocked or belittled because of your Christian faith. And so you use those worldly tactics, how the world succeeds in life and in work and in business, showing no regard for the Lord. There is a real temptation for each of us when it feels like the Lord is not answering our prayers for us to turn to worldly tactics or plan Bs. David says, don't don't treat me like that, Lord. And then he reminds us in verses 4 and 5 of what the outcome of living in a way that does not regard the Lord. Look at verses 4 and 5. It's part of his prayer. Verse 4, give to them according to their work, according to the evil of their deeds. Give to them according to the work of their hands. Render them their due reward because they do not regard, that's what I was mentioning earlier, they do not regard the works of the Lord or the work of His hands. He will tear them down and build them up no more. G.K. Beale has this book titled, We Become What We Worship, and he makes this biblical theology case 
for uh, all throughout the Scriptures, uh, like, like in Romans 1, where the Lord just hands people over to their sins. Like, you want to worship yourself? You want to be preoccupied with yourself? You want to employ those worldly tactics? Fine. Go ahead and experience the outcome and the fruit that comes from that. And Beale makes a case biblically that as we um, give ourselves over to those things and live as if we have no regard for the Lord, we begin to mirror creation rather than the creator. We begin to become dull and senseless like the false idols of Israel that they built with their hands. And so as David's praying, render them their due reward, like treat them as their actions dictate. Treat them um, the, based on the idols that they, they worship. And notice the contrast here. He says, uh, give to them according to their works. Contrast that with verse 5. They have no regard for uh, the, the works of the Lord. He says, give to them according to the works of their hands. Contrast that with they, they have no regard for the work of the Lord's hands. And so you see this contrast, two ways of living. One is you render the work of your hands or you render the work of the Lord's hands. You worship the creation, or you worship the creator. Now, I think it's also then appropriate to ask the question, take verse 4, give to them according to their works and according to the evil of their deeds. Give to them according to their work of their hands. Render them their due reward. (laughs) Should we, as Christians, pray that on our enemies? on the workers of evil? Well, the answer is yes and no. I'll start with no. No, we don't necessarily pray that in the exact same way because first of all, we are not King David. We are not the king of a people representing the people to God and God to the people. We're not ruling over theocracy. Secondly, we know Jesus tells us to pray for our enemies, to pray for those who do wrong for others, pray that the Lord would be gracious to them, pray that the Lord would convict them of their sin, that we're to turn the other cheek, pray for our enemies, so we should do that. But yes, I think we can also pray this prayer in the sense that it is right for us to long for justice and for the Lord to judge according to what each man and woman has done. It is right for the Lord to judge those who have no regard for Him. And people who reject the Lord and reject His created order and reject His divine design have no regard for His grace or mercy, and it's right for us to pray that the Lord deals with them. It's not just an Old Testament concept. Jesus says this, Matthew 16, verse 27. I'll read it. Matthew 16, 27. Jesus says, For the Son of Man is going to come with His angels in the glory of His Father, and then He will repay each person according to what he has done. Paul says this in Romans chapter 2, 6 through 11. Here's Romans 2, 6 through 8. He, being the Lord, will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. Verse 11 says, for God shows no partiality. And so for us as Christians, when we pray things like, your kingdom come, or come Lord Jesus, 
We are praying that the Lord would come and judge, would execute justice, would render them their due reward. And we know that there are such wicked people on this earth that if the Lord stopped them in their tracks, that that would save the lives of countless innocent people, that justice would prevail, and that others would not be harmed. And it should be a sobering prayer because then we know as we pray these things, for us who are in Christ, we plead the blood of Christ. We know that we were due that wrath and that fury, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together in Christ. And so when we feel the temptation to employ worldly tactics to get what we want, it's wise for us to remember the future of the wicked, the wicked's tomorrow. And that should encourage us to use the language of Psalm 27, 14, to wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. It brings me to the last point, last few verses of this psalm. We can call out to the Lord our strength and our shield, and as we do that, we should remember the future of God's people. Look at verse 6. Blessed be the Lord, exclamation point, for He has heard the voice of my pleas for mercy. Remember verse 1, be not deaf to me, lest if you be silent to me I become like those who go down to the pit. Verse 6, for he has heard, he wasn't deaf, he heard the voice of my pleas for mercy. Remember verse 2, hear the voice of my pleas for mercy. Verse 6, for he has heard the voice of my pleas for mercy. The Lord answers David's prayer. And David begins to praise him for hearing him and answering him. I've uh, been so encouraged recently as uh, I, I have been journaling somewhat regularly prayer and all that for about a decade now. I made this motion because I, I type it. I can type a lot faster than I can write. And I use this, this app called Day One. It's a journaling app, and it syncs on all my devices. And there's this feature on there where I can click, it says, on this day. And I click on that, and I can see all the passages. So today's October 11th. I click on that, and I could see all the October 11ths for the last decade that I've been using this app, uh, things that I've been meditating on, things that I've been praying. And it's been such an encouragement for me to, to click on that and to see, what, I was praying for that? Forgot I even prayed for that. Or, wow, look at the Lord's faithfulness. That was a big deal, and He answered that prayer. Or to see, I'm still praying for that. To just chronicle in my little life, here today, gone tomorrow, little life, the Lord's faithfulness to me, His child. 
It's a very healthy discipline for each of us to get into, to to mark those things, to chronicle those things, and to be reminded of the Lord's faithfulness in each of our lives. And of course, we know that the Lord is faithful. But to be reminded how that faithfulness has been on display in your personal life is a wonderful blessing. Strengthen and bolster our prayers and pleading with the Lord. And as David praises the Lord, calls him blessed, says that the Lord heard his prayers, he answered them. And then he continues his praise in verse 7. The Lord is my strength and my shield. In him my heart trusts, and I am helped. My heart exalts, and with my song I give thanks to him. David continues to to praise him and worship him and declare his trust in him. In him my heart trusts and I am helped. What are you crying out to the Lord for today? What are you pleading with the Lord for today? Where is your trust Are you anxious about the election in a few weeks? About COVID and the rising numbers again throughout our country and state? Are you anxious about what Cuomo's response is going to be to those rising cases? Are you anxious about your kids' schooling or the trending of our culture and and the trajectory of our society? And can you, in the midst of that, confidently say, in him my heart trusts? The fact that he says my heart, I mean, that, that's the center in Jewish thought of the person's being. I mean, that's mind, soul, will, and emotions. But we also know, we've lived life long enough to know, that in this life, not all of our prayers get answered in the way that we want them to. People lose their jobs. People get sick, loved ones die, and until Christ returns, we do not experience heaven on earth now. We will for eternity, but but not right now, as we continue to feel the effects of the curse. And in the midst of all that, it is important for us to remember the future of God's people. Look at the last two verses, verses 8 and 9. The Lord is the strength of His people. He is the saving refuge of His anointed. Oh, save your people and bless your heritage. Be their shepherd and carry them forever. I love the contrast in verses 8 and 9 where you've got um, David just declaring fact, like promises. This is who the Lord is, and then you've got some more pleading in verse 9. Fact, the Lord is the strength of His people. He is the saving refuge of His anointed. That's who God is. And in light of that, verse 9, save your people, Lord, bless your heritage, be their shepherd, carry them forever. Does that not mark our prayer life where we're declaring God's promises? This is true. This is what you've said, God. This is who you are. Lord, hear the voice of my pleas for mercy. Lord, save your people. Bless me. Carry me. Be my shepherd. Or phrasing in the New Testament, I believe, help my unbelief. 
And in the midst of all of this, again, the premise of this psalm is it feels like the Lord is ghosting him, ignoring him, giving him the cold shoulder. Christian, what do you do? Do you persevere in your prayer life? Do you press into the Lord, declaring your need, your trust, crying out to him? Or do you give in to the temptation of using worldly tactics, forgetting the future of the wicked and forgetting the future of God's people? Brothers and sisters, press into the Lord. He will not ghost you. He hears your pleas for mercy. He hears your cries for help. And if not today, and if not tomorrow, we do know confidently that then for eternity we can say, bless the Lord, for He has heard the voice of my pleas for mercy in Christ Jesus. The Lord is my strength and my shield. In Him my heart trusts and I am helped. My heart exalts and with my song I give thanks to Him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the truth found in Psalm 28. I pray that we would be a people who perseveres in prayer. Pray that we wouldn't be lulled to find strength, hope, or false promises and plan Bs and alternatives. May you be our rock, our strength, and our shield. Thank you the hope we have in Christ, that we are now called your people. We are saved from your fury and your wrath, and now we are called your children. We know and confidently declare that you are our shepherd, and you will carry us forever. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.